Buenos dias. Broadcasting from an undisclosed and undisclosable location. This is the Spectral Skull Session, and I am your host, Dane. Today, a news roundup for the week of April 30th, 2021, which includes the holiday of Beltane. Harry Reid suggests UFO swarms are Russian technology. And the hauntings have resumed at America's most terrifying ranch. All this and more in today's episode of the Spectral Skull Session. You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session. Tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Do you ever have this problem? You're getting ready for a long walk in the woods and you want to roll a spliff of smokable herb. You've got your herb in the bathroom, you're rooting around in your toiletries kit for medical scissors so you can chop it up nice and fine, but then you have to go get a plate from the kitchen. When you're all done, it's a mess. You've got herbs all over the bathroom, your hands smell like herb, you've got to wash all this stuff and put it back. It takes forever to get out the door, you're not vibing, you got to light that spliff up before you can feel at peace. Ugh. Luckily, Happy Trees has the solution a premium grade stash box from Happy Trees. That's happytreesupplies.com. Happy Trees sells a convenient lockable stash box. It comes with a four-piece titanium grinder that will give you the smooth grind you've been looking for. The 50 diamond cut teeth grinds your herb to the perfect size for cones and rolls. The neodymium magnets keep the lid on tight while you grind. There's also a stash jar which will protect your herb from damaging UV rays and keep moisture in so your stash stays fresh. The airtight seal helps keep smells inside so you can save them for yourself. There's also a metal rolling tray so you can save every precious bud. And everything fits snugly into the box. Plus it has a key so your nosy roommate or your little brother isn't poking around in your stash. They come in three varieties. There's the Metatron's Cube-themed box that has Metatron's Cube etched on the box in every accessory. Metatron's Cube is a sacred image associated with the angel who translates the directives of God into a form comprehensible to humans. This is according to the Kabbalah. There's also a Desert Visions-themed box. It has colorful desert scenes painted onto the accessories. And for those of you who prefer plain, there's a box made of bamboo that is just adorable. I have my own Happy Tree stash box. Yes, I use it to hold my stash. I absolutely love it. These boxes range from $38.90 to $28.90 on the website, happytreesupplies.com. But now Happy Trees is offering a special deal to anyone who listens to this show. Use the coupon code SPECTRAL20 for a 20% discount. 
What are you waiting for? Skip the mess, get organized, and preserve your stash from degrading ultraviolet light and snoopy little thieves who try to make off with your herb. Check out happytreesupplies.com. That's happytreesupplies.com. First in the news, it is a holiday weekend for many of our listeners this week. It is Easter weekend for the Orthodox Christians around the world. Saturday, May 1st, is also the workers' holiday for China, Russia, and some parts of Eastern Europe, including Belarus. And May 1st is Beltane for Celtic people, especially the Scottish and Irish. This is an important holiday. Beltane occurs halfway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. Beltane refers to the fire of Bel, or Belliness. Belliness is a Celtic sun god. The Beltane holiday is marked by maypoles, dancing, and fertility rites. It is a popular time for pagan weddings or hand fasting. Hand fasting is a pledging to stay together that a couple takes. Typically, a hand fast will last for a year and a day, so a little bit less than a marriage. Another Celtic tradition is for young couples to spend the night of Beltane, that would be Friday, April 29th, out in the fields. Then they come back with armfuls of hawthorn blossoms to decorate their homes. Children born nine months after Beltane are known as Beltane babies. During the holiday, herdsmen will drive their cattle, sheep, or other animals between two closely aligned bonfires. The belief is that passing through the smoke of the fires blesses a living creature, helps protect it from harm in the year to come. A variation on this practice involves jumping over Beltane fires, as I will explain shortly. I looked up Beltane in the seminal work on comparative Western mythology, Sir James George Fraser's book, The Golden Baugh. Written in 1890 and revised 1900, The Golden Baugh has influenced a wide range of writers and scholars. Christian apologist C.S. Lewis was inspired by The Golden Baugh. Literature professor Joseph Campbell, author of The Hero with a Thousand Faces, also drew from Fraser's work. Poet T.S. Eliot references Fraser. Also of note, Aleister Crowley, said to have been studying Fraser as he staged his own attempt to revive magical spirituality in the West. Crowley crafted what would become the religion or philosophy of Thelema. But to stay focused, here is what Fraser has to say about Beltane. He says that in the central highlands of Scotland, the Beltane rituals, which are, as I said, practiced on May 1st, strongly suggestive of a now-abandoned practice of human sacrifice. One Scottish ritual that Fraser cites is the Beltane cake. A cake of oats or meal would be prepared in the Beltane bonfire, and a bean or some kind of token would be hidden in the cake. Community then divides the cake up and everybody gets a piece. Whoever finds the token becomes the Beltane carline, a accursed status. Certain members of the community then attempt to stage a dramatized throwing of the accursed into the bonfire. Other members of the community ritualistically intervene to rescue the Beltane carline. As a compromise between being immolated and being allowed to live, the community eventually settles on throwing eggshells and probably other debris at the carline. That person is then treated as an odious character for the remainder of the year with people even referring to him or her as if they were dead. So Fraser never says why he thinks that this practice is suggestive of human sacrifice now abandoned. 
what he's thinking. The idea would be that, well, they used to just draw lots and then throw somebody into the fire. And then probably at some point, they had a fight over it, tried to throw somebody who was too good looking into the fire. And then somebody else fought valiantly to save that person and succeeded. And they said, okay, we'll just settle for pretending that he or she is dead for a year. And then we'll call it even. And then subsequently, they just did the same thing. And they sort of ritualized this process of not throwing a person into the fire, pretending to throw them in the fire. And it's gotten sort of weaker and weaker ever since. So gentler and gentler. In a variation of the practice of the Beltane car line, sometimes they simply ask the person who's drawn the lot to jump over a roaring bonfire three times. This is supposed to spare the community from harm. Or they may ask this person to repeatedly pass between two bonfires that are painfully close together. And Fraser writes that often you can hear them, that the Beltane Carline would scream in pain as he or she passed between the fires. So Beltane may be a good day to get outside, perform a fertility ritual of some kind, smoke some meat, and ask for the fairy people to protect you and your herd for another year. By the way, this is a great moment to plug Ari Aster's film Midsommar. came out two years ago, 2019. Horror film about a contemporary neo-pagan indigenous community in Sweden and a bunch of American graduate students who go up there to study it and get swept into their horrifying rituals. Uh, This movie, when I watched it, it was August when I saw it with a friend. And after seeing it, I kind of walked around in a daze. I was kind of depressed for about an afternoon. But I got over it and I thought that was a really good movie. It's a really challenging film because it suggests that our own society is broken in such a way that human sacrifice could be appealing to people who are disenchanted with it. And I saw it and I was like, you know what? I think so. I think our civilization is starting to get to the point where people are so alienated that they might join cults that engage in human sacrifice. So watch that film and think about where we're headed. Let me know what you think. Moving on, let's follow up on two stories that were previously reported here. First, we've been covering Russian President Vladimir Putin's suspicious activities in the former Soviet Union, and we have good news. First, the Russian dissident Alexei Navalny has ended his hunger strike after he was allowed to see a doctor for his leg and back pain. Appearing by video link in a Russian courtroom, Navalny said the following, quote, You are all traitors. You and the naked king are implementing a plan to seize Russia, and the Russians should be turned into slaves. Their wealth will be taken away from them. They will be deprived of any prospects. You have implemented that plan, end quote. Not sure what Navalny is talking about there. Remember, this is a Russian man who was poisoned barely survived, but then voluntarily returned to Russia only to be imprisoned in solitary confinement without medical care. And his wife says that he's lost 35 pounds. Uh, It sounds like Navalny is warning us of a plot to destroy Russia. Sounds like by Russian President Vladimir Putin. He also called the judge a traitor and was subsequently sentenced to contempt of court. More good news from Russia. A major military buildup in Crimea in eastern Ukraine has been partially reversed. Concerns of a renewed war between Russia and Ukraine amid heightened tensions and growing exchange of gunfire and artillery shells 
may be laid to rest for the time being, this de-escalation, along with the improved condition of Alexei Navalny, come on the heels of U.S. President Joe Biden contacting President Putin and inviting him to a summit. Putin reportedly told Russian media, Biden said he does not want worse relations between the countries, but actually wants to normalize relations. Normalizing relations would be extraordinary, as Russia has been under sanctions since 2012. The Magnitsky Act, it was a bipartisan bill passed by Congress and signed into law by President Barack Obama that intended to punish Russian officials responsible for the death of Russian tax lawyer Sergei Magnitsky. They put him in prison in 2009, and uh, they did the same thing to him that they were doing to Navalny. They just denied him medical care, and they treated him so badly that he eventually got sick and died. It seems to be a recurring theme, so try to avoid ending up in Russian prison if you can. The Magnitsky Act massively restricted the ability of a small number of Russian officials to do business around the world, and even made it difficult for them to send their children to college abroad. This is very painful for them. So dictators and their cronies around the world like to make money in their home country, usually through corruption, and then they stash it somewhere else in the world. Because when the revolution finally comes to you, you want to have someplace you can go live, right? And also, you know, you're in, it's an unstable place you're living in. Who knows how long you're going to be able to hang on to that money. Maybe one day you're going to fall out with the dictator. So they stash their money abroad um, so they have a backup plan. They try to stash a lot of it abroad. And so what we started to do back in 2012 was go after the ability of individual persons to do this kind of thing, preventing them from traveling outside of their country, preventing them from putting money into banks. And we also make it hard for them to send their, ki their kids to college abroad. And they particularly hate this because everybody wants their kids to be educated in the West, the United States or Europe. And so uh, this is very painful for individual people. Uh, this bill and other, other sanctions that were later imposed by Congress have uh, really been trouble for Putin and his regime. In 2014, things got much worse when U.S. President Barack Obama began signing additional executive orders, further restricting the ability of different businesses related to the U.S. Anyone who does business with the U.S., being told not to do certain kinds of business in Russia. This was punishment for the invasion of Ukraine. So the Russians seized Crimea and then are widely believed to be heavily involved in eastern Ukraine. Related to this a story about UFOs, former Senator Harry Reid has publicly said that the mysterious UFOs swarming America's naval destroyers are owned by, you guessed it, Vladimir Putin. Speaking to the U.S. Sun on the topic, Reid said, quote, Always remember Russia. It is run by a man who once ran the KGB. They had 31,000 agents at one time. Russia is involved in this. No question about it. Reid is, of course, referring to Russian President Vladimir Putin. Putin joined the KGB in 1975, and after training, he worked in counterintelligence before he was transferred to the first chief directorate position that involved monitoring the movements and activities of foreigners in St. Petersburg. It sounds like Putin wasn't really that high up in the KGB, actually ran the KGB. It sounds like he did not run the KGB. So I'm a little confused about that. 
The audience may wish to take note that there is a fundamental point of disagreement here between the testimony of former Senator Harry Reid and Wikipedia, the Wikipedia entry on the life of Vladimir Putin. Either Putin did not run the KGB and former Senator Harry Reid is wrong, or the U.S. Sun has misquoted him, or Wikipedia entry on Vladimir Putin has been scrubbed by Russian agents. Returning to the story, but a former member of the UK Defense Ministry also chimed in, telling the Sun these UFOs could be hypersonic drones from Russia or China. Now, we've already talked about the possibility that these UFOs could be Chinese drones on this show. But how about the possibility that they are Russian? Well, the Russian military claims to be in the process of developing almost two dozen different kinds of hypersonic missiles at this time. Since the claim is that the Russians may have acquired hypersonic drones, let's talk about the state of the Russian hypersonic missile systems. This might give us some insight into, well, where are they with their drones? So hypersonic missiles, let me quickly say, they're just missiles that move much faster than the speed of sound, so fast that they can be invisible on radar. And even if detected on radar, they cannot be intercepted. If a naval ship using horizon-restricted radar detects a hypersonic missile, it can have less than a minute to react. This according to military.com. In 2018, President Putin said they had completed testing of one hypersonic missile, the Avangard. Putin said the Avangard is a high-velocity glide vehicle that can move 20 times the speed of sound while engaging in maneuvers. This allows the missile to not only outrun, but also dodge interceptor missiles. Well, the Russian military also claims to have developed couple additional high-tech missiles. One of them is called the Kyazil, which can be launched from planes. This one can move several times the speed of sound. And then it's not hypersonic, I think, but Putin also says there's another missile. This one's kind of a Wunderwaffen, a nuclear-powered nuclear missile. So you heard that right. This missile called the 9M730 Berefistnik, uh, also called by NATO, SSCX Skyfall. Let's just call it the Skyfall. The Skyfall missile is both nuclear-capable and nuclear-powered. That means it can carry a nuclear weapon, and it's propelled by a nuclear reactor. If you put radioactive ore inside your missile, and then you have a nozzle at the front of the missile, you can suck in air in the front, and then you can run the air over your radioactive ore. That means your air gets hot, then you can shoot the hot air out the back of the missile. This allows you to get movement, propulsion, without burning any fuel. It means theoretically you have infinite fuel. You can just keep sucking in air and shooting radioactive air out the back basically forever. So in theory, such a missile can fly almost indefinitely. The United States researched building a nuclear-powered missile back in the 1950s but they decided against it because they discovered that if the missile crashed before reaching its target, it would spread radioactive material everywhere. I also read the missile was so loud that it would permanently deafen anyone it flew over. It would give off a supersonic shockwave that would cause people's eardrums to explode. So it didn't seem like a very good weapon. And the Americans decided to scrap the program. Putin apparently thinks this is a great idea, at least that's what he wants us to believe, because this Skyfall is just one of several terrifying new Russian weapons. 
But here's the thing about these Wunderwaffen missiles. I'm not sure they're real. First of all, arms control experts have pointed out that this missile I mentioned that launches from planes, the Kianzil, it looks suspiciously like another missile the Russians already have. It looks like the Ice Kander. We already knew they had the Ice Kander. The Ice Kander is a short-term ballistic missile that carries a nuclear warhead. We know they have these and we're not impressed. Other arms control experts have questioned the idea of a glide vehicle, saying that a missile that can glide can't also maneuver at hypersonic speeds. You can only glide at sub-hypersonic speeds. And lastly, we know the Russian military tested the engine for their Skyfall missile in 2019, and it blew up, spewing radioactive material in northern Siberia. It killed the entire staff of the research project. Five top Russian scientists died of radiation exposure. So that is a clear setback for the Russians and their quest for Wunderwaffens. The point that I want to emphasize here, I think we should be skeptical that the Russians are up to the task of developing next generation super drones. Uh, yes, the Russians do continue to punch above their weight in cyber warfare and technology. But my sense is this. The Soviet Union was very science and education oriented, and the Soviets invested heavily in tech. And they have a lot of secret Cold War inventions that they mothballed and put into hidden factories. Whenever Putin's government wants to make it look like Russia is making scientific progress, he just sends someone to go dig up some secret Soviet-era technology, and they pretend that now we're mass-producing it. Now it's real. We just developed this thing out of the blue. And I say this because of those stories that you can find on the internet about how the Americans tested a nuclear-powered nuclear missile way back in the 1950s. It's not that complicated. Like I said, it's just radioactive ore and then a ram scoop. And boom, it flies forever. We were smart enough to stop doing it. It sounds like the Soviets also were smart enough to say this isn't worth doing. But now Putin says, well, let me, let me trot it out and show you that now we have this technology. No, you don't. It, it blows up and kills everybody. I think the only nation besides the U.S., capable of actually developing a next generation breakthrough drone would be China. I'm skeptical even China could do it. You know, I'm skeptical even the United States could do it. Don't think the Russians are up to this. I don't think they are up to super drones that can travel faster than sound. I'm sorry, former Senator Harry Reid. Let's move on to another mysterious story that's also linked to Harry Reid. Back when he was senator, Reid arranged for taxpayer funds to be deployed to investigate various mysteries. One of these mysteries was UFOs, but another one was Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch is located in Ballard, Utah, the northeast corner of that state. It is a highly recognized center for high strangeness. That would be Skinwalker Ranch, not Ballard, Utah. High strangeness is whenever you have multiple different categories of paranormal phenomenon happening close together in space and time. The region has been long known for UFO sightings going back into the early 20th century. Uh, going further back than that, the indigenous tribes in the area used to avoid Skinwalker Ranch, saying it was cursed land. In the 1990s, a ranching family took possession of the 500-acre ranch. They reported immediately being visited by a giant wolf. 
This wolf tried to eat their prized calves. They had to shoot him repeatedly, eventually with a high-caliber rifle at point-blank range. The wolf survived all of this, multiple gunshots at point-blank range, and ended up leaving like it wasn't a big deal. As a further twist, the family described the wolf to various different people, telling the story repeatedly over the course of many years. And eventually, a, uh, I guess it's a paleoarchaeologist said, you're describing a kind of wolf that lived in North America in the Ice Age and has been extinct for thousands of years. So that's an incredible story, a ghost wolf that can survive being shot at point blank range. Um, the family, though, had all kinds of trouble while they owned this ranch. They were tormented by strange events. They would hear voices laughing at them coming from the sky in the evening. That's disturbing. They had poltergeist-like activity inside their home, objects moving around. At one point, they saw what appeared to be a Winnebago on the property. And they thought, oh, somebody has driven their Winnebago onto our land. Let's go check it out and talk to him. They even were caught in the headlights of this Winnebago as they approached it. But then it took off into the sky and was never seen again. More importantly for ranchers, they gradually lost their cattle herd. So their cattle were dying mysteriously and turning up mutilated. Eventually, the story caught the attention of Robert Bigelow. Bigelow is an aerospace tycoon. He's also a close friend of former Senator Harry Reid. Bigelow has been a longtime enthusiast of the paranormal, and he was able to get Reid to give him tens of millions of dollars to assemble. Actually, I think it was around 15 million, the article I read. But he's got tens of millions of dollars total. Uh, if you throw in the fact that he's not only looked into Skinwalker Ranch, he's also looked into uh, UFOs using government money. Anyway, Bigelow was able to assemble a team of paranormal investigators to stake out Skinwalker Ranch. Reportedly, this team witnessed a number of spectral phenomena, including uh, camera equipment that was mysteriously ripped out of the ground when their backs were turned. And a couple investigators reported seeing a doorway open up in the sky and a Bigfoot-like creature running out. Unfortunately, they were never able to capture any of this on camera. As I said, it, it tended to happen when their backs were turned or when their recording equipment was turned off. Skinwalker Ranch is absolutely the weirdest place I've ever heard of, but the activity supposedly died down after the Bigelow team arrived to investigate. I heard that Bigelow was disappointed. That turned into the end of the whole project. Now, recently, Robert Bigelow sold the property to a real estate tycoon, Brandon Fugel. Fugel is a local man who has made money off of real estate investing. He bought the property, says he bought it as a skeptic, but then, quote, all that changed. I had, with multiple witnesses with me, an occasion where we saw what can only be described as an unidentified flying object, a craft, a 40, 50 foot long silver disc hovering right above the mesa, right in front of us. This wasn't a blinking light in the sky or something that was a little bit ambiguous. This was a solid object that appeared out of nowhere, could move in the blink of an eye, and over a 20 second period perform maneuvers that I believe defy any propulsion physics that we're acquainted with. Fugel says that the people who visit his ranch are now experiencing acute medical episodes 
including nausea, altered perception, and temporary paralysis. He also told Coast to Coast AM that there's radioactive material in the soil that cannot be accounted for. Maybe the Russians have been testing their Skyfall missile on the Skinwalker Ranch. In any event, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch is the title of a History Channel sort of documentary slash series that will be in its second season on May 4th. And if you're looking for more documentaries about cryptids, there's a new documentary out exploring whether Bigfoot may have murdered some cannabis farmers. Sasquatch, a documentary on Hulu, follows filmmaker Joshua Rofe and investigative reporter David Holthouse. Holthouse investigates three men who were allegedly murdered by a Sasquatch. Holthouse was working on a cannabis farm in California in the Emerald Triangle region, which is near Mendocino, when a man came to him saying three workers had been torn limb from limb and their weed left undisturbed. Holthouse and Rofe found themselves caught up in a shadowy Northern Californian underworld involving AR-15-wielding smugglers, hostility directed against migrants, and numerous unexplained murders. So that sounds like a great show if you subscribe to Hulu, which I do not. I would like to mention that Mendocino is where Robert Anton Wilson retreated uh, after his difficulties in Chicago, and he suffered through a period of his life that he would refer to as Chapel Perilous in his books. This is a period where he was haunted by specters, weird synchronicities, and questioned his very relationship to reality. I wonder if in addition to being a center for the cannabis black market. This region in Northern California may also be a place like Skinwalker Ranch or another place we covered on this show, the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts, an area of, simply put, high strangeness where a variety of weird and disturbing things take place. In any event, that is the show for this week. It's Beltane. It's Orthodox Easter. It's May Day. Go outside and enjoy the woods, everyone. And if you see anything strange, send me a message and let me know. Now, if you see Bigfoot, don't panic. Offer to share with him a little bit of your stash. And he probably won't tear you limb from limb. But he'll give you a ride in his flying Winnebago. Until next time, I have been Dane. Stay strange and stay sane.